So every year, a new word is coined and put into the dictionary. And the Collins English Dictionary revealed their word for 2022. It's this word, permacrisis. Permacrisis is defined as an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. In other words, the corners of that definition said, you know what, there is no one word that really encapsulates what the past few years have been like. And they came up with this term, permacrisis. They even blogged about it. One of the writers of the, of the website um, for that dictionary noted the term rings true because of the war in Ukraine, climate change challenges, political instability, surge in inflation. He goes on to say the term embodies the dizzying sense of lurching from one unprecedented event to another as people wonder what new horrors may be right around the corner. What is around the corner? You see, that's one of the what-ifs of the world we live in right now. What if China continues and presses in their campaign against Hong Kong? What if we get another outbreak? What if, and that's on sort of the world national level. Sometimes we even feel insulated from that. But there's what-ifs in your life this morning. You're wondering what if. Christmas doesn't go like I thought. What if I don't make it financially? What if? You fill in the blank. And what happens when we get in this sort of meteor shower of what ifs that can rain down? It wells up in us a sense of anxiety. Fear and anxiety are very closely related. And how does that square up to this this joy and peace we keep talking about and wanting during the Christmas season? How is it that we talk about peace and yet, for many people, we're entering into one of the least peaceful times of year. There are many people in this congregation who wish that calendar would have ended the day before Thanksgiving and won't pick up again until well after Christmas. Because you're going to be enduring a Christmas perhaps unlike one you've ever had before. And not in the better sense either. So every individual I know, every family wants peace at Christmas. But too often there's conflict, there's frustration, there's disappointment at what's present. And what we need is instead of permacrisis, we need some perma good news, don't we? Something that's going to last What I want to talk about this morning is how can I enjoy an enduring peace in Christ? How can I enjoy a peace, as the scripture says, passes all understanding? I think that you and I want that kind of peace. We're in a series right now called The Enduring Promises of Christmas. We're going back and looking at those prophecies of what was to come. What was the expectation of a Messiah? And by the way, that semicolon is to help us understand this Advent season we're in. See, we're between two Advents right now. If you recall from last week, Advent is from the Latin Adventus. It means coming. 
The Advent season is a time of preparation that directs our hearts and minds to Christ's second coming at the end of time and to the anniversary of our Lord's birth on Christmas. See, we're looking at two things at once in this Christmas season because we're living in this moment between the Advents, between the birth of Christ, first of all, but then the second coming of Christ when he will come on a white horse. We're living in this in-between time, the difficult time, but it's not without hope and it's not without peace. So our subject this morning is peace. And again, with that semicolon, you've got something that comes before a semicolon. You've got something that comes after a semicolon. In our case, the birth of Christ came before, and we're also looking at the second coming, which we are still looking for. So this morning, we're going to focus on Christian peace. I want to look at some different passages. We'll explore those passages. Ordinarily, we would stand for the reading of God's Word, but we'll uh, be looking at those passages as I cover each point. And I'd like to look at our subject by covering these four questions about peace. First of all, what is it? What is peace? And then secondly, who can have peace? Is this something available to everyone or just those having a really good day? When can I have peace? Is it available all the time? And then finally, how can I have an ongoing peace? How can I get it? It's well and good to talk about it. But how do I get this peace? So first of all, what is peace? And as I was studying it, it's interesting. Peace is ordinarily defined by what it's not. And what it isn't, the opposite of peace, is anxiety. The opposite of peace is worry. Now, there's different senses of the word peace. Uh, peace can mean uh, a lack of conflict between two parties or two uh, persons. Uh, but there's also this sense in which it's an internal feeling that we can have. Worry, interestingly, I just shared this with a MOPS group uh, a couple of weeks ago. The word worry has a very interesting history, how we get the word. It's from this word, worgen. It actually means to strangle. It's the same root word as the word wolf, where we get the word wolf from. And that eventually changed into this word, uh, worrying. I don't have it up there, worrying. And uh, worrying means to grasp by the throat with the teeth and lacerate, or to kill or injure by biting and shaking. In other words, there was a strong connection between what a wolf would do when it's got its teeth sunk into the throat of a sheep and what worry does to each and every one of us, this anxiety. D.A. Carson, a great biblical scholar, when he was writing his commentary in the book of John, he got to that part that's when Jesus said, my peace I give to you. He described peace this way. He said, at the individual level, this peace secures composure in the middle of trouble and dissolves fear. This is a peace which guards our hearts and minds against the invasion of anxiety and rules or settles the hearts of God's people to maintain harmony amongst them. Now, did you see that? So when you're thinking about a, a peaceful person, when you're describing that person, it's a person that no matter the circumstances they're in, they aren't just waylaid by it. In other words, they have a settled heart. 
their heart isn't just jumping around, afraid here, anxious there, because something new has happened. This person feels a sense of peace. And these words are interesting. I, I substituted that word guards. He originally put in the word garrisons. Now that word garrison is, is a group of soldiers you'd put into a, a castle to guard it. He is saying that that peace is what prevents our heart from jumping and leaping around to places of anxiety. Even when hard circumstances come in. And I struggle with anxiety. I will tell you, this is a battle. This was a sermon I needed. Because it's very difficult, even as a Christian. And sometimes Christians have it worse. You know why? Because we have guilt that we don't have peace. We're anxious that we're anxious. We can be depressed that we're depressed. Because we think, well, it shouldn't be this way. But yes, Christians will struggle with this too. So this is a, a feeling that can dissolve fears. It stays, gives us a sense of composure. But who is it for? Yeah, to, to whom is this available? Who can have it? I mean, this isn't for everybody, right? Maybe a few of those missionary super Christians. Let's talk about that. If we go to the Old Testament, the writers were oftentimes writing about as a matter of fact, they were crying out to God to give them a sense of peace. And when you look at these prophetic promises, particularly from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah makes uh, such a proclamation, such a prophecy. He thought, man, we, we need this. And God has revealed that there's going to be a new leader coming. A new leader that's going to bring this peace. And he believed that God always kept his promises. So they were eager for this this rescuer to come, and he wrote in Isaiah chapter 9, if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the prophet wrote this. You heard it already once this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, it's no secret that we live in a time where there's little peace around us. Now, the Israelites were constantly enduring barrages of attacks. Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans... Uh, during the, the time of the New Testament. And we struggle with our own problems of a lack of peace and then pain all around us. And we see it in famines in some places, sickness in another, war in another. There is, there's no lack of brokenness that we see on the news every evening in our world, in our nation. Divided. The times in our nation are actually being compared to a decade or so before the Civil War. So if we're honest, we also long to see peace come to the world. We long to see God fulfill his promises of one who's going to rule with love and compassion. Then hundreds of years later, after Isaiah wrote that prophecy, we see it written in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels come. And these shepherds in this little field, just hanging out, have an experience unlike anything they have ever experienced before. For people who had never seen uh, fireworks or drones in the sky, all of a sudden there appears right in front of them these beings whom they had heard about, and I'm guessing had never seen before, flying around, singing, speaking directly to them. Now when I think about shepherds, you know, it, it's kind of a romantic notion, I suppose. You know, these men who uh, get to, to be out there in nature with the animals, taking in uh, you know, the, the sights and the sounds. And, or, or I think about the Christmas play. You know, back in the day, I was a shepherd in one of those uh, Christmas pageants at the church back there in Dunbar, West Virginia. You know, you had a big staff. Mom and Dad are taking their pictures and looking pretty sharp. That is not at all the notion of shepherds in the time of Christ. It was a looked down upon occupation. These men smelled. They were thought to be swindlers. They weren't kept up. This was not an occupation you would often choose. It was one that you were sort of thrust into because you couldn't find anything else. But yet, these second class untrustworthy citizens are the first people to receive the birth announcement of God himself. Now, if you were to put this in modern times, the angels wouldn't have appeared in like Harvard University or Princeton or Oxford. They didn't go to Silicon Valley. They didn't go to Washington, D.C. among the wealthy and the elite and the powerful. No. If you were to put this into a modern context, it was though they came to the soup kitchens. They came to the homeless shelters. They came to those who didn't have hope in much of anything else. That's who they came to. That's who this word came to. The rehab clinics. And there is a sense from the very beginning, this Christmas story of hope and peace and joy and love, the arrival of, of Christ, his birth, it's not just for the powerful and perfected. It's not just for those who live that extreme uh, Christian sort of missionary lifestyle that will oftentimes elevate higher than it should be. It's not for just the full-time ministry people. It's for these people who don't have power, who are scratching and clawing just to make it through one more day. That's who these people are, that, that's who is experiencing this, this first Christian message about the coming of Christ. So if you are here this morning and you don't feel worthy of peace, you don't feel like it's obtainable for you, you're in good company. But this message of peace is for you. It is for every follower of Jesus Christ. It's for you. 
God wanted to make it clear this is accessible to anyone. The ground around the cross is level. But when? When is it available? When can I have it? I want you to take a look at the response of these shepherds. The angel of the Lord appears to these men. They're out in these fields. And their first response, you know, however you want to think that you would respond to an angel appearing in front of you, I'll tell you what your response is. You'd be terrified. Everybody in the Bible is terrified. That's why more often than not, I think just about in every circumstance, the angel's first words are, fear not. Don't be afraid. If you look at what the text says, literally it's saying the angels were afraid with a great fear. They were terrified with a great terror. They were shaken in their sandals. And the first words that were spoken over them, don't be afraid. And it's the same words being spoken to you and I today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of that diagnosis. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of that thing you're most terrified is going to happen. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. You may be struggling to restore a relationship, anxious about your circumstances, whatever. And they get to the good news, and sometimes it's just in their grace, something they've made up to soften the bad news. I don't want the bad news, but here there's no bad news. It's only good news. And he gives them hope, and, and you know, maybe you need some really good news today, and here's the good news. That Jesus came once, and he's coming again. And sometimes, you know what I'll do? When I start to get captured by those thoughts, I'll get into some, some more in a moment. Can you just imagine Christ has already come for the second time? See, it's important that you exercise your imagination that way. In essence, when you read the New Testament writers, they write as though, look, this is so inevitable. Christ's second coming is so absolutely going to happen. It's so imminent. Just imagine it's happened and live that way. Let your heart Live with that comfort. The good news is you have not been forgotten by, by God. In fact, he's come to be with you in the middle of the struggle. Born in the city of David, he's the Messiah, the Lord. He's in charge. He's king. He's the one that we're waiting for. And yet, he's also already come. So circumstances do not dictate to us whether or not peace is available so long as Christ is present, and he is, so isn't peace available. You know, there was something written by uh, Paul David Tripp. Uh, he's, he's a fantastic writer. He's, he's done some videos. Oftentimes we'll do this. We didn't do it this year. Uh, but it's um, surviving the holidays. It's for those who are grieving about to enter the holidays. 
and their hearts are already heavy, and they're hurting. But in that video, he gives this advice to people who are getting ready to uh, encounter Christmas, even fearfully. He said this, <laughs> this is so good. If there weren't pain, suffering, sin, destruction, discouragement, and death, there would be no need for Christmas. He goes on and said, the holiday is about suffering. This holiday is about pain. Jesus came to end suffering. He came to end death. He came to end sin, brokenness, pain, destruction, discouragement. So this is the sufferer's holiday rather than the holiday to be avoided. He is saying that as sufferers, we ought to run to Christmas. That this is the holiday for you. Because had there been no pain, suffering, sin, guess what? There would have been no need for Christ to have come. But because all that's true, we need Christmas. He said, Christmas tells me there's hope for people like me who are going through what I'm going through. Christmas guarantees that God has, will, and will continue to address, to address what I'm going through. Okay, Chad, that's great. Peace, it's in the Bible, it's there, yes. Well, how do I get it? How do I get this peace? And I want to move to the book of Romans now. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 specifically. And it says there, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is, is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And notice what it says here. It's talking about uh, this mindset, mindset on the flesh. Well, what does that mean? When Paul is talking about a mindset, he's asking, what is your focus? I know when I first started driving, my, my mom said to me, one of the first things she said was, look, Chad, when you're driving, there's two things I don't want you to look at. She said, never look at the guardrail and never look at the center line. I was really, really, she said, because if you do that, you're going to have a tendency to veer towards one of those two things. What you're focusing on, you intend to drive your life toward, by the way. And whatever it could be, it could be a good thing. You've got your mindset on being uh, you know, great vocationally, getting great grades, uh, being the best parent you can be. But those are mindsets. And Paul's being very particular here about what he wants you to set your mind on. He says, if you set your mind on flesh, it leads to death. That's the natural outcome. Now, what does that mean? You see, your flesh is that part of you that still hangs on to you, even though you've become a Christian. As a Christian, you've maybe been frustrated by some particular sin. It just seems like you just can't get over it. That's because in you, there still exists this sinful tendency you have. It's something God's killing in you day by day. Paul refers to it as the flesh. It is that sinful part of you that continues on, that you and I struggle against. It's where temptation comes from. And this is a, a struggle, and Paul is warning against this fleshly mindset. Just like Peter, we looked last week at Peter who said, put your hope in the second coming. Don't hope in anything else. Put all your hope in the second coming of Christ. Now Paul's saying, put all your hope 
on what the Spirit desires. Set your mind, he says, it's a command, fully on what the Spirit desires. The degree to which you and I can do that will be the degree to which we experience peace. The degree to which we can get this anxiety out of our lives, it starts here. This is where the battle is. And having that mindset of the Spirit is crucial, is, is crucial. so we have to control our thoughts to cultivate peace. And cultivating a, a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled disposition of heart and mind if we want to live in a way that pleases God and and these verses, then, they raise this fundamental question. Well, how are we forming our minds? What are we putting in there? What are we exposing them to? And if you're a Christian who, who only reads the latest novels, who only watches network TV all the time, who only has relationships with people who don't believe what you do, you're giving inputs. You've got a mindset that is not consistent with the mindset that's being described here. And you're going to really struggle with peace. Because if all that input is coming from one direction, it's reflecting the value system of the flesh. That part that we want to be dying every day. And this is why we so often act in, in fleshly ways. And if we're going to be progressing in the Christian life, we have to be feeding our minds these solid spiritual inputs. Okay. Now, it's important, it's imperative, as a matter of fact, that you are reading the Scriptures. But you know what? It's very easy to, uh, to do your chapter a day, close it, put it away, there we go. A chapter a day keeps the devil away. You need to read, to, you've, you've got to read it, but read to understand. So that may mean diving a little deeper. Don't just read to understand, but read it to understand it, and then understand, okay, now how do I apply this to my life? How can I make this part of my, my habit, my way of living? Now you're getting the right inputs. And if your primary input is just the, the infinity scrolling on Facebook or YouTube, look, there are some fantastic, fantastic sermons to listen to on YouTube, some fantastic resources on a number of different places online. Um, I probably listen to uh, a sermon by Keller or Swindoll once a week. You can find... David Jeremiah out there, you can find, you fill in the blank. There's great resources on YouTube. Listen to those every now and then. But we need these, these inputs. And, and when we pray, be real with God. Be transparent. Talk to Him. Don't get stuck in just a... A rote prayer if you're not thinking about what you're praying. I, I'm fine with, with rote prayers, but you need to be thinking about it, not just going through the motions. But how I am setting my mind on the Spirit, how I'm setting my mind will be in direct conjunction with the peace that I experience. There's something that uh, J.I. Packer wrote uh, about being God's child. By the way, if you've never read the book, Knowing God, you need to get that one on. Ask Ask for that for Christmas this year. If you haven't finished your list, ask for a copy of Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Get that in your stocking. He wrote this in his book, Knowing God, about on being God's child. He said, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. Now, hang on, listen. 
He said it the same way you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. Now he's saying, look, when you relate to God, when you pray, when you're in the scriptures, are you understanding on a deeper and deeper level that God is your father and he is your, you are his child? He went on to say this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with this peace, what is it your mind is set on? And cultivate peace by trusting Christ and actively engaging your mind with spiritually rich input. I want to close with this story. About a, it's about a young girl. She's four years old. She and her mom had just moved into a new house. And the first thing she told her mom is, look, you've got to check the house for monsters. So her mom goes through this whole exercise. She looks through the couch cushions, goes through the attic, checks the yard outside, and assures her daughter there's no monsters. But the daughter was not satisfied. They had a police officer come over to their house. The local news uh, media agency caught this whole story. The officer, very patient man, came over and proceeds to do a complete inspection from top to bottom on the house to make sure there's no monsters present. He even goes and, and, and walks through the front yard to make sure there's no signs of monster activity. When the mom saw this, she said, it's amazing the confidence that he's given her. Now she wants to grow up and be a cop and help other people find monsters as well. You know, it's a little silly to think about the four-year-old that needs the officer to come over and do the whole monster inspection, but I think that when God sees the things that drive me and you to these places of anxiety, it's almost like that four-year-old with the monsters. And even though it may not be uh, even though he looks down and sees our fears and knows exactly what they are, and even though I get anxious about things I shouldn't, God still, as this loving and caring father, is there present with me, assuring me, Chad, there's no monsters in the closet. There's none out in the yard. And we have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and is present to comfort us, to assure us he's in control and to give us a hope for the future. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask now that you would give us your comfort. Lord, a peace that, tra that transcends our understanding. As we meditate on the truth of you and your next coming, I uh, ask, Lord, that you would help that to rid us of our anxieties and our fears. And Lord, when, when that anxiety starts to strangle us, when it feels like it's choking us, that we would set our minds on your truth, that that would dispel the anxiety, 
that we would give you the cares that we may have even brought here with us this morning. God, and I pray that now as we go through the ceremony of communion in a, in a more tangible and even stronger way, that we would lift our cares to you because of how much you have loved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.